Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to give a shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight on the show from Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how are we doing? It's about time, that's all I can say, because I feel like it's been four weeks or something like that. It feels longer since I've had good vibes, at least, film uh, doing this show here. So um, I'm feeling much better than last week, and it was great to see the uh, the Fenway faithful really into that game. Um, they were really into the whole series. Um, I feel like that's been lacking um, over the last month or so at Fenway, probably one of the reasons why the teams played so poorly at home. But um, a big win, big win, and hopefully – um, it kind of um, leads into the weekend and they can end the first half um, on a good note. Yeah, finally, finally, the streak of midweek losing series has come to an end. So like you said, hopefully they can build off of that. Also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. How we doing, Terry? Not too bad. A bit of a surprise win in game three. I figured Nathan Avoldi would pitch a complete game shutout, uh, you know, because he would have willed himself to do it, but um, got slapped around, as I like to say. And uh, while we're at it, Red Sox, two games above 500 now, 11 back from the Tampa Bay Rays, who have lost five in a row, by the way. That must be their longest uh, losing streak of the season. Uh, Red Sox are three games back from the final wild card spot. So you win three against Oakland, you're you're knocking on the door. Maybe we're buyers, and I've been so convinced that we would be sellers. But but we'll get into that uh, for everybody on the PM uh, commute. So look out for that, and we'll give our predictions on the series. Yeah, the, the roller coaster season kind of continues, and a lot of it will depend on how they do in Oakland this weekend. If they can actually, you know, pull off a series sweep, which they should be able to do, then you're right. They're right back in it, and the script changes a little bit. So we'll see how that goes. But for now, we got to get into this Rangers series. So we're going to get into our top five list for this one. So leading us off, Micah, who do we got coming in at number five? Coming in at number five is Masataka Yoshida, and he has been so consistent, and I feel like Red Sox fans don't even really realize how consistent he has been. Um, on, the, on the series, he was 6 for 13, and he was able to raise his average up to 312. Um, he's just so consistent. I, 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 I don't think we appreciate um, what he's doing, and he is a rookie. I know he doesn't necessarily his age because of his time in Japan, but he still is learning big league pitching and, and just getting used to the, uh, the game over here, but he has just seamlessly transitioned. Great. 
Um, you take away those first 10 games, I, I couldn't even imagine what his average would be. Since June 15th, he's hitting 364. So again, just super consistent and someone who is producing at a, a high rate for this offense. Um, I said before the show, I think he probably is a bigger all-star snub than Verdugo, and I don't think many Red Sox fans are talking about that. Um, but I, I certainly believe that to be true. Um, so another impressive series from Yoshida. Um, and I think this is what we can kind of um, expect from him. Maybe not six for 13, but, you know, a consistent, you know, high average guy, high OBP guy. I really think that's who he's going to be during his time with the Red Sox. Terry. He's a guy that uh, he's won my trust. Masataki Yoshida. He does still kind of low key go on some some quiet spells. Um, you know, in late June, he didn't really have a good series against the White Sox. Didn't particularly have a good series against the Marlins. Um, was hitless in, in a lot of those games. But then with the Toronto series, he 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 ratchets it up. You know, in in the first game, he's three for four. Uh, two for three in the next one, and um, and then just let's see, two for at least two hits across all three games here uh, with the Texas Rangers. Part of the reason why he, you know he also might be flying under the radar is even though he's a you know basically a hitting machine, he's only had uh, two home runs since the start of June. So a little bit quiet there with the long ball, but that's fine. I mean, if you're cranking doubles and, you know, moving, moving the base runners along, that's, that's all we care about really. So, um, big series for him and I'd love to see what he could do in the month of October. (laughs) If we ever make it there again, I mean, we saw what he did, you know, under the bright lights of the WBC. He he really strikes me as a player who's going to show up in big games. And, um, you know, he's been big for the last week, week and a half. Yeah, he's been playing great. And, um, you know, preseason, plus 600 to win Rookie of the Year. I felt very good about that for a long time. Um, unfortunately, Baltimore just keeps calling up prospect after prospect and Gunnar Henderson's going to ruin that bet for me, but I still think Yoshida is going to be right there in the rookie of the year race. Maybe even the batting title race. If he keeps this up um, at the end of the year, he's come exactly as advertised, you know, good, smooth swing, patient at the plate, um, a little more power than I think maybe we anticipated at first, but like you said, Terry, he does go on those streaks where doesn't hit a home run for a while, but that's okay. He wasn't, you know, we didn't sign him here to hit 40 home runs. We signed him here to hit over 300, play good defense and left, and be a guy who moves the chains uh, for the offense. And he's doing exactly that. Um, And I have to give a little bit of credit to Alex Cora as well, because we've been pretty hard on him this year, I think rightfully so. But Cora manages him very well, because they obviously did their background on him, and they spoke to his former coaches, former teammates, And one thing that they kept bringing up was, you know, his former coaches and teammates would say he does go on cold streaks. 
And when that happens, you have to kind of just sit them for two games. And it's, it's hard to do. It's, you know, a lot of managers won't want to do it. They want the players to kind of figure it out for themselves. But when Yoshida's gone cold, Cora does sit him, at least for one game, sometimes back-to-backs. And, you know, lo and behold, Yoshida gets back in the lineup and starts raking again. So they obviously know how to manage his streakiness when it does occur. Um, but still, it's pretty rare when that happens. And for the most part, he's good for a hit or two a night. Um, and he's just been a perfect addition to this lineup. So couldn't be happier with the way it's working out. The contract seems to be just, you know, absolutely perfect for what you're getting. Um, I know Bloom took a lot of heat from pretty much everyone around baseball when he signed him, but, uh, it's working out so far. And if this team does go on some sort of run in the second half, Yoshida is going to be a very important part of that. So hopefully he stays healthy, doesn't get hit on the knee or, or the elbow anymore because it feels like he's been getting just tattooed lately. Um, but as long as he stays healthy, I think he's going to be in for a big year. So with that, uh, moving to the other side, the diamond, Terry, who's coming in at number four. That is going to be the Red, Red Sox setup man, uh, who in my opinion is the best reliever on the team. Uh, that's Chris Martin. Uh, had a kind of a couple of, you know, key appearances, um, you know, game two, he came in to, uh, protect a two run lead, uh, in the eighth inning, uh, got through that pretty cleanly, did give up a hit, but, uh, nothing, uh, beyond that struck out one and then was kind of brought in in an emergency situation. There's nothing comforting about Justin Garza being in the game under any circumstances, okay? With a with a four or five run lead in the ninth, that's, that's just asking for it. And sure enough, he, he allows a base runner. Martin has to come into the game, uh, and then you know, basically gets a double play, I think, on the very first pitch he throws, and out we go. So, I mean, he's got an ERA well under one. And let me ask you guys this. If you're a team that needs a reliever, and uh, I think we can say, you know, Texas still does, despite the Chapman acquisition, um, but... A lot of people are going to be shopping for relievers, and you call the Red Sox. Which one are you asking about? I would still lean Chris Martin first. Jansen obviously has the name behind him, but he's got a very expensive contract. Martin doesn't. Martin's got a very reasonable deal, so the money's reasonable. Um, they're both. I know Martin's a little bit older than Jansen, but um, I think seems a little more durable and trustworthy at this stage. So. I think a lot of teams will call about him. Teams will call about guys like Winkowski too, and you know some of your other bullpen pieces that have developed here. But if they're looking for an established veteran piece, I think they would choose Martin over Jansen. Yeah, I think hands down it's got to be Martin at this point. I mean, the, the fact that they're both um, under contract till next uh, through next season makes them very attractive because they're not rentals. Um, but Martin's only due $9.5 million. Whereas Jansen, I think is 16 next year. So, I mean, there's, there's a significant dollar um, 
difference when you're talking about relievers. Um, and I don't know the exact stat, but I know there is a massive difference in Jansen's production when he throws on two days rest versus um, one day's rest. And when you're getting to the end of the year and in the postseason, you don't want to have to think, oh, when was the last time we used Jansen? Oh, we used him yesterday. I probably can't use him or he might not be as effective. We have not seen that with Martin. So, I mean, I, I would definitely take Martin. He's been probably, I, I think he's got to be a top three reliever signing in the offseason. And I would put his numbers up with anyone um, that signed in, in the offseason. So um, he's been a great find for Bloom. Yeah, he's he's been fantastic, and again, the contract is is living up to it. He's completely worth the money that Ian Bloom gave him over the winter. Um, perfect bridge to Jansen, and you know the Red Sox really missed him when he was hurt earlier in the season. They missed him a lot. Um, having that surefire eighth inning guy is just as important, I think, as having a surefire closer. So um, Martin's been dealing. I. This is part of the reason why, you know, it's going to be tough if the Red Sox do decide to be sellers because, like you said, Terry, teams are going to call. Teams like the Rangers who need bullpen help are going to call, and it's going to be very hard to say no, you know, when if you're out of it and you're deciding to sell and someone wants Chris Martin, it's going to be hard to say no to dealing him. So we'll see what happens, but um, certainly a great season for him so far. Us. Real quick, oh, yeah, no, he's given up just five earned runs all season, 1.67 uh, ERA, but he's giving up no uh, earned runs since um, the Guardians, which was an ugly series all around <laughs> for the Red Sox, but he, he gave up two runs to them on June 6th and nothing since. So he's definitely going on a run. I would imagine he's the best eighth inning guy in baseball. I don't have those stats up, but um, certainly far and away better than I expected he would be. And I still thought he would be solid. So, Yeah, and I was looking it up earlier. I thought he was towards the top of the league in holds, which I know is a little bit of an outdated stat not many people care about, but... He's got 14 holds on the year. That sounded like a lot to me. He's middle of the pack in, in Major League Baseball, and maybe that's just because the Red Sox haven't been in that many close games. We haven't seen the 7th, 8th, ninth inning bridge you know, that many times. So maybe if they start to play better, maybe if the starting pitching you know, start, sorts itself out, maybe he sees more action like that. But he's either way, you're right. He's on an incredible run right now. So it's good to see. Um, so with that, coming in at number three in the top five is going to be Connor Wong, who had a phenomenal series at the plate, six for nine in these three games. Um, and look, it comes at a very interesting time because the Red Sox just DFA'd Caleb Hamilton, re-signed Jorge Alfaro to a major league contract for the rest of the year. Reese McGuire obviously on the shelf with the oblique injury, but Connor Wong is the guy right now and he responded in kind with a, a good offensive series we know he still has pop in that bat he just barely missed a home run tonight um I, I swear it was like by a couple of inches he missed a home run uh almost got one onto that ledge on the green monster so the power's there um the athleticism is there defensively he's still great you know his metrics have dropped off a little bit 
Um, but he's still, you know, a top 10 defensive catcher in the league. You know, there's only a few guys really that have surpassed him. Austin Hedges and Shona Heim, who we saw in this Texas uh, series, has also surpassed him defensively a little bit. But Wong is still great behind the plate. And, and he's certainly, you know, part of the re-signing of Jorge Alfaro is that, you know, Alfaro is a bit of a butcher behind the plate. He's He's known for his bat. He's never been known for being a good defensive catcher. So Wong will always have that advantage of, I think, the pitching staff trusts him. I think that he's got the defense nailed down. If he can just hit around 250, you know, he doesn't have to be an all-star. You don't need him to turn into Adley Rushman. If he just turns into a, a solid big leaguer who can go one for four, maybe maybe hit a home run every now and then or a double, and hit around 250 and not just and not be a black hole in your lineup that paired with his defense you've got something there you really do and you know 26 years old he's still young still developing it's a good sign all around if he keeps this up uh because we were sort of thinking for a long time that he, he seemed like the forgotten guy in the mookie trade you know everyone talked about jeter downs when he first got here they hyped him up and you know he turned out to be kind of a bust at this point Verdugo, we knew kind of what we were getting, and he's been a little bit better than we were expecting, but we knew we were getting an everyday player there. Wong was a bit of a mystery. All we knew was that he was a catcher who had some pop, but he was a little bit raw and needed a lot of work. He's really turned into something. He's turned into a big leaguer for sure. So hopefully the bat keeps up and, and the defense keeps up because that would be a great development for this team. If you get a 26-year-old catcher back there, uh, who can work with this ever-evolving pitching staff. That's a great sign. Uh, Micah, your thoughts on Connor Wong? Yeah, what an impressive series. And honestly, he's really um, stepped up in a big way just because they don't really – they haven't had a backup for McGuire went down like two weeks ago, and they have not had anyone. And he's been pretty much the guy for for almost every game, and he's played well. As you said, defensively, there is just no concern – and offensively, I still think there there is another level to his game. I think um, catchers in particular, especially prospect catchers, I think they probably were the most affected by the COVID shutdown season because catchers typically take longer to develop offensively anyways. And then you just take a, an important year completely away from them. So I still think there could be more to um, Long's game. Something I just looked up because I was just curious. What do you think JT Realmuto's numbers are? Because they're not that far off from Connor Wong. JT Realmuto is hitting 248 with nine home runs. After tonight, Connor Wong is hitting 239 with six home runs. And he was so close to a home run, um, you know, for, for which would have been seven. So I'm not comparing Connor Wong to JT Realmuto. He is still the best capturing the game but the Phillies are paying JT a lot of money to put up just numbers that are just just slightly over what Wong has produced thus far um, and I think that's an encouraging stat that Wong is developing the way he is um, I I'm a fan I think Alfaro really um, it was a necessary ad because Wong cannot keep this up um, you, you just can't keep playing every night and expect um, you know, for him to keep it up offensively. So Alfaro, I think, is going to be a good add. 
Um, I thought it was funny on the broadcast. They were trying to talk up his defense, saying how hard he's worked uh, with Veritech. It was funny. Um, but I am happy that he is back, and I, it makes me wonder, uh, will we ever see Reese McGuire again? Um, I don't know. But uh, definitely a good series for Wong. I think we will see Reese McGuire again. Um, and before I get to Wong, I mean, <laughs> Alfaro's been passed around and, you know, nobody will commit to him. And then the Red Sox get extremely desperate because, you know, McGuire goes down and he's a pretty good backup catcher and seems to work well with the pitching staff. So not a bad guy to have. And, um, and then you had that Caleb Hamilton kid who was hitting 180 in AAA, hitting 180 against pitchers who aren't good enough to play Major League Baseball. So that wasn't great. And if you're going to have those type of numbers, you better be Sandy Leone. You better be one of the best game callers in Major League Baseball because, you know, that that's how Rick Porcello won that Cy Young. Sandy Leone just just impeccable when it comes to calling pitches. And um, we're not getting that with Alfaro. We're going the opposite. We're going completely. It, it just fits the, the theme, you know, with the Red Sox front office. Just if he's got bad, if he's a bad defender, who cares? You know, just throw him out there. We've seen it at first base. We've seen it in the middle infield. Uh, our outfield has been solid all year long, uh, you know, defensively. So no complaints there. But as far as Wong goes, man, he just went off. And if somebody needed to go off, it was him. Go back to the Blue Jays series. Wong was one for eight with four strikeouts. Go back a series before that. That was the Marlin series. He was 0 for nine on the series three strikeouts go back a series before that. So this is three series ago. This is the white Sox series. And, uh, Wong was one for seven with six strikeouts. And one of those was a four strikeout game. That's a golden sombrero. If you strike out four times. So he needed to, um, he needed to go off. I just got a Nightingale tweet. Apparently the benches just cleared in the Mets game. No shock there. You know, things aren't going well in Queens. But um, but anyway, so Wong is phenomenal. I will say this. He does have the benefit of not needing to worry about losing his job. Because what are you going to do? With Casas, he should have lost his job at various points, but they didn't. And, um, you know, Kike kind of lost his job, but, um, Wong's safe. I mean, there's just no depth and I'm a big Connor Wong guy. I've all winter long. I expect express optimism that he could, he could be not, not the best, you know, offensive catcher, but his power numbers could be among the best. And um, he he hasn't quite uh, lived up to that, but I don't think we've we've seen a ceiling. And if you go back, I mean, Va Christian Vasquez wasn't known for for his offense out of the gates. He was an elite defensive catcher, and that's why he got called up. 
and gradually he became probably a top five or six catcher. And there were a couple of years where he was probably top three or four. And I can see Wong traveling a similar path. Um, just something that I, I just looked up with Wong. Um, his swing is kind of built for Fenway. He's very pull happy. So that monster is perfect for him. But his home and road splits are kind of eye popping because at Fenway, he's hitting 260 with a 480 slugging. But on the road, he's hitting 192 with a 319 slugging. So um, I think he definitely benefits from that uh, big green wall in left field, which is fine. You play half your games there. That's fine. But, uh, you know, he used uh, the opposite field. He hit a little dribbler today off Eovaldi for his first hit to the right to the right side, just a ground ball to the second base. But they were shifting him so far. I think when it comes to two strikes, the Wong needs to do a little bit more of that because the K rate is probably the most concerning stat for Wong. He, he's up in the, the low 30s um, for K rate, which is high. Um, so if we could see him put the ball in play a little bit more with two strikes, I think uh, I would feel even more confident in um, Wong being the, the backstop of the future. Yeah, I agree that that K rate has to come down a little bit, but you know, if that's sort of your biggest complaint about a guy, it's, it's not bad, right? It feels like everything else. He's definitely progressing forward. Um, and Red Sox are kind of developing a nice little thing at catcher here because the Caleb Hamilton experiment, obviously, he's he's not a big leaguer. He's, I, I think, a little bit of a journeyman. And, you know, him being DFA'd and all that kind of opens up room for Ronaldo Hernandez down in Worcester to get more playing time, really solidify that catching position where his bat's starting to come around now. And he's starting to really hit. And he's a 25-year-old prospect for them. So um, it's all kind of coming together the way it should. So it's good to see. Um, coming in at number two, Micah, what do we got? Coming in at number two is Justin Turner, and he had another big series. Um, he was six for 12, and he's just on an absolute tear. I know uh, last week we talked about how, you know, he's kind of either really hot or really cold, but he's been more hot than cold for uh, quite some time. Since June 1st, he's hitting 314. Um, and it's just the the quality of the at-bats. I feel like he has a full count every time he's up to the plate. No matter if he starts at 0-2, he'll just work it to a 3-2 count. And that just goes to show you how just he's just a professional hitter. And um, the Red Sox offense is really benefiting from him. He just seems to always um, have, a, have a, a knack for getting that big RBI single. Um and he just had another terrific series. So I, I think him and uh, Yoshida are really carrying this offense consistently. Um, you know, we've had Devers have some big moments, um, but he hasn't been consistent for many of the series. And, you know, Verdugo's kind of hit a little bit of a slide here to end the first half. But it's really been uh, Yoshida and Turner who have been pretty consistent for the last two months, which is, has been big for this offense, especially a struggling offense. Terry. The redheaded stepfather. Um, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Alex Spear tweeted out yesterday um, 
in Turner's last 35 plate appearances with runners in scoring position, he's 14 for 33. So that's an average of he's hitting basically 424 with runners in scoring position. He basically, I mean, he's basically fired Raphael Devers for being like Mr. Clutch, Mr. High Leverage, Mr. I'm gonna I'm gonna plate those base runners. Um he's been the most clutch guy this season. Um you know, when you look at the deadline and I think we're trending towards being buyers right now, but man, Justin Turner would be really coveted on a team that's looking to boost their uh, corner infield. And I didn't expect this. I mean, it, it took a little while for him to get going. Like Micah said, basically from early June forward, um, he's giving you what JD Martinez was essentially giving you probably a few less home runs, but still he's driving them in. He's finding the gaps and the <laughs> he's going to be 39 this year. So how many dudes his age are, are thriving right now? I, you know, Yuli Gurriel, I don't think is having a great season, but he, he has played, I think he won a batting title at age 37, if I'm not mistaken, uh, two years ago. But I, I mean, he's, Justin Turner has overperformed uh, his his contract so far. Yeah, he just continues to be an RBI machine. And it's been a really welcome sight. I, I love the at-bats where, you know, he just makes pitchers work. Um, but he also, he's not afraid to ambush pitchers, too. He did that to Evaldi in his first at-bat tonight. Jumped all over him for for a base hit and kind of started that whole, you know, even though they only got one run out of it, but he he kind of got things going there right off the bat um, against one of the best pitchers in the league. So he's able to do that, too. And let me ask you guys this. So Turner has a player option for next year. He has a player option that if he exercises it, he'll make $13.5 million. If the Red Sox continue to trend this way where they just let's say they finish the year 81 and 81 they miss the playoffs they don't do much the deadline they kind of stand pat would you guys want turner back would you want him to pick up his player option or would you prefer that he turn it down and the red sox potentially upgrade the dh position michael i'll start with you i feel like if he wants to keep playing baseball. He would probably not take that deal because I think he would maybe try to get a two-year deal. Um, and that would not be something I would be interested in. I, I don't want to pay for, I don't want to see the Sox pay for an aging um, DH essentially because in another year or two, another year or two, I don't know what, what his bat really looks like, especially in terms of the power uh, maybe playing at Fenway would help him, um, but I would much rather see the Red Sox try to go out, maybe get a, a Hoskins or something like that. That is a little bit more of a, a power bat. Um, I'd be fine if he picked up the offer for one more year. I absolutely think if if Alex Cora and the coaching staff can manage um, his workload and they're not putting him in the field too much, 
Um, if they can try to keep him healthy, I'm fine with another year, but I absolutely would not do another uh, look for a two-year deal uh, to do another deal. Terry, what about you? I would be perfectly fine if he picked up his player option. Um, like Micah, I wouldn't explore anything beyond 2024. But, I mean, who who else is out there? Who's going to give you that type of production for $13 million? And... He could decline the offer and, and try to get just a, a bigger one-year deal. But, I mean, Nelson Cruz at age 41, I, he was only making 10 or $12 million himself, just crushing balls, hitting, you know, 40 home runs a year. Uh, so I can't imagine Turner would really command uh, much more than that should he decline his option. Now... By the time he would decline that, we would probably have an answer on Bloom's status. We'd probably have an answer on Cora's status. I think he would love to play another season for Alex Cora. I think that would that would probably sway him to some degree uh, into deciding to, to exercise that player option. Um, so we'll see. I mean, if he gets traded, that's obviously a game changer, but, um, man, what a, what a interesting month July has, uh, turned out to be, uh, for all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's why his, you know, his contract situation with the deadline coming up is going to be interesting, especially since he's occupying that DH spot. Um, you look forward to the, 24, you know, 23, 24 uh, free agent class. It's, it's a couple of guys that can maybe replace his production. Teoscar Hernandez will be a free agent. CJ Crone will be a free agent. Shady Martinez will be a free agent again. Um, but, you know, if Turner picks up that player option, I would have no problem with him coming back for one more year. I do agree with you guys, though. Just the one more year. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to negotiate another two-year deal with him. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So, rounding out the top five tonight, coming in in the number one spot, Terry, who do we got? It has to be Brian Bayo, who has basically ascended to being the ace of, of the Boston Red Sox. Um, watching his progression has really been a lot of fun to watch because I expected some growing pains this year. I expected an ERA probably in the low fours, some gems in there. And then, you know, some games where he gives up a five or a six spot. But as I think it was Alex Spear that's pointed out, he makes the adjustments on the fly. It's not, it's not like Tanner Houck who goes out there and has just lost the whole game. And you're just hoping he figures it out before the next game. I think it was in the first inning. He, he would try throwing his uh, sinker and wasn't locating it. Wasn't getting swings and misses. And then the very next inning, he throws it again and starts commanding it. And, you know, you, you'd love to see some higher punch out numbers. He only, struck out three, but his command 
is just so good. And that changeup, especially uh, on the inside, is just absolutely nasty. And the league just isn't catching up to him. Because like I said, he's making those adjustments on the fly. Garrett Whitlock's another example who had a nice run of five or six straight starts where you're getting five or six innings out of him. He's he's in control the whole game. And then uh, was it the White Sox series, I think? They started to figure him out. They started to... They started to get his sequencing down. They knew when to look for his changeup. And he ended up getting hurt before we could really see if he could make any adjustments. You know, you know, the league caught up to him. And Bayo just seems to be one step ahead of everybody. And that's what an ace is. That's what an ace is. You know, they win the mind games between, you know, them and, and the opposing batters in the box. And, and I mean, there's no telling what this guy's ceiling is. There really isn't. Micah? Yeah, I think I have a man crush officially on Brian Bayo. I just, I just cannot get enough of watching him pitch. Um, and like you said, Terry, it's the in-game adjustments that are just so impressive. Um, and it seems like, you know, if the the first inning, he didn't have his good command. I was really the first two innings because he was, I think, 41 pitches. Um, he should have been a little lower than that, but Hamilton screwed him on the double play. Um, but his ability to say, you know what, okay, I'm going to attack more. And I think that's honestly why his strikeouts were down a little bit is his pitch count was so high. I think he was just attacking the zone, attacking the zone and saying, try to hit me. You know, I mean, I think that was his first home run given up in over a month. Um, he's just, he's been so effective. That start reminded me a lot of John Lester's, uh, a John Lester start early in his career because Lester would, walk some guys, have a high pitch count, but he always seemed to be in the sixth or seventh inning. And that's what Bayo has been able to do over his last five starts. He's averaging 6.8 innings, which is just mind boggling um, because I never expected that. I could have seen scenarios where he has some base runners, some walks, and he's really effective for five innings, but he is consistently pitching into the seventh inning. And I love that Alex Cora is just pushing him to get to that point because that's what an ace is. You know, I don't know people who are watching baseball now and they're, they're, they're watching these, you know, top tier pitchers throw five innings. That's not an ace. That's not an ace. I mean, I'm still old school where I still, I still believe that an ace is an innings eater and there are just fewer and fewer innings eaters in today's game. And he certainly looks like he is becoming one. And I just, pray he can stay healthy because I truly think he he could do some incredible things as the ace of the Red Sox. I'm ready to call him an ace. I think he's got the makeup. Um, it, it's just it just comes down to um, health for him. Um, and that is just a flip of a coin with any pitcher. So um, I have nothing but good things to say and I'm just so glad he is a Red Sox and I, I hope they can work out an extension so that they end up getting, you know, some years um, cheaper than they would if they wait and then try to make a deal with him. 
health is going to be paramount, as we've seen with the other young pitchers on this staff. Garrett Whitlock hurt again. Tanner Houck, not his fault. You can't can't control uh, taking a fastball to the face, um, but he is on the shelf again. Um, you know that's that's all it is with with young pitchers. Health is is the big key. But with Bayo, I love his pitch combination. I love his stuff. You know, he's got that really great changeup like you guys talked about, but his sinker, that power sinker down and into righties and just, you know, lefties can't do much with it. It's just, it, it's electric. And the good thing with Bayo is that when he does, when bat does come to ball, it's he's usually getting a lot of ground balls. He's not giving up bombs. I mean, he's given up eight home runs this year, but that's actually more than I would have expected. I would expect that number to be a lot lower, but still eight home runs and 14 starts. That's not a bad rate, not these days. Most pitchers are giving up upwards of, you know, 25, 30 homers a year. I mean, Nick Pavetta, we talk about him all the time. He'll make 30 starts, and he'll give up 35 home runs in those 30 starts, but that's the way it is. Bayo doesn't seem to get burnt like that, um, and that power sinker has a lot to do with it. So, yeah, he's he's definitely taken that big step forward that we were all hoping that he would. Um, I think he is your ace right now, especially with the injuries you've got. Paxton, you can definitely make an argument for him, but there's a feeling that Paxton may not be here after August 1st, so I, I'm hesitant to call him your ace because I feel like he's just kind of here for a little bit. And you know, Bayo is your true ace going forward, not just this season, but for many seasons down the road, um, assuming they do everything right by him. So it's been great to see. It's been great to see him take that big step forward. And it's such an important development for this Red Sox team for this year and years beyond that Brian Bale's the real deal. You finally do have a bona fide pitching prospect that you developed in your system, and he's here now, and he's winning big league games against tough teams for you. That's huge. So uh, great step forward for him, great step forward for the organization, and he's become like must-watch. You know, if even if the Red Sox are struggling and they're, you know, they could get swept by Oakland, but you know, it's like once once Bayo makes that start, I'm tuning right back in because he's must watch TV at this point. Um, I, I don't want to do the whole like he's mini Pedro thing because that's way too much to put on a young kid's shoulders. I, I understand why people want to do it, but um, if anything, I'll just say he is your next big pitching prospect that has finally arrived. And we've been waiting a long time for that. So um, it's good that it's happening this year. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to see a lot more of them going forward. So with that, uh, we are going to wrap up this show. Keep an eye out for our series preview. That will be previewing the Oakland Athletics Series this weekend. And then after that, we'll have our Bastards Roundtable episode. That will be coming out this weekend as well. And after that... The following Monday, the weekend crew will have you guys. They will wrap up the uh, what's hopefully a good Oakland Athletics series against those poor saps over there on the West Coast. So um, everyone, enjoy your weekend. Take care.